when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Long-term careers in the video game industry are uncommon and are, counterintuitively, becoming rarer as the years progress. The figures, which are in line with previous GDC surveys, paint a picture of a tumultuous, unstable industry from which employees are fleeing in droves in search of stability and security. For Jay Allard, a former CTO at Microsoft who helped launch the original Xbox before leaving the industry in 2010, the key factor in driving passionate employees away from games is the lack of predictability in scheduling. Quote, the writing, planning, budgeting, and execution of three-act narrative, whether TV show, movie, book, is far more predictable than modern games, he says. Video games have always been a more fluid medium with fewer rules and lower expectations on structure. Because of this, a pre-production phase for a game is is far less predictable indicator of the schedule, budget, and effort to build. A top-tier producer working on, say, Project Gotham Racing that moves to Grand Theft Auto is going to need to push a very different pre-production phase even though both games have similar elements. That is in a piece by Simon Parkin in a Gama Sutra piece titled The Great Video Game Exodus, and that is going to be what we are talking about today on Waypoint Radio, episode 161. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm joined by the full Friday crew today of Rob Zachney. Hey, everybody. Patrick Klopik. Hello. And Austin Walker. Hey, Hi. Oh, we have – this is a heavy topic, and uh, I guess we should start with uh, the the uh, caveat that we are not uh, professional game developers. Uh, what? <laughs> I mean, a few of us have dabbled. Time to strike that <laughs> off my business card. I know. I'm sorry. Take it off your card. So it changed uh, your E3 a lot, Patrick. <laughs> when you know, I beat the hell part of Spelunky, I thought I'd made it. Yeah, that you, was it. You made a game. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, a few of us have dabbled, of course, in little things, but, uh, you know, we're not people, uh, in the industry in that capacity. So, like, there's, there's a grain of salt element to this, but I think, obviously, we've all been covering the industry long enough, uh, to, uh, hopefully have a good conversation about this. Uh, and personally, this is something I've heard about, you know, for, for as long as I have been, you know, working, mm. uh, in games journalism is the idea that, you know, people come into this industry young and passionate and excited. They work, uh, you know, 80 hour weeks and they leave with a lot of skills and, uh, aged, you know, 10 years for every year that they have been in <laughs> sort of the grind. And it, it speaks to a lot of things. It speaks to crunch. It speaks to, uh, you know, sort of labor practices. It speaks to many, many elements that we will get into, uh, but that was sort of always my perception, uh, is that this has long been an issue in the game industry. 
I mean, that's even in this Parkin piece, right? Like, it's a yes. small note, but it's an important note, which is like the one of the things that 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 Simon brings up is that when you look at the the GDC state of the industry surveys that come out, what you see is we don't have a lot of people who stay in the game uh, development scene as their career for more than like six years, six right? Years, I think the yeah. specific numbers given are seventeen percent of the thirty thousand attendees to the GDC uh, to GDC worked in the industry for seven to ten years, and only thirteen percent for between. 11 and 15 and those yeah. numbers are not outliers that is in line with what the state of the industry survey shows year after year after year and in fact like it hasn't gotten better it's actually gotten worse yeah which is six years is barely a career yeah <laughs> <laughs> like six years is like like you feel like you're still feeling your oats like you're still figuring out like is this is this a career is this what i want to be me? doing <laughs> totally totally <laughs> like what's often happening is i think people are getting in there in their 20s hitting the 30s pivot and going fuck this like, yeah. i'm gonna go you know in this the story like you know there there's a developer you know i think it's the the first one the one who was a, a pianist who wanted to get into sound production and then they went Frank, and learned Frank how D'Angelo. to be an, yeah. yeah learned how to be an accountant which is just like the fun like i mean you know more power to him he probably made the right move but like just the funniest sort of like i'm going to go from like young composer to working on games and it's amazing actually i'm going to go and i'm going to become an accountant it's just like yeah. <laughs> like it's such a stunning indictment of like the video game industry and it's like it's like current the way it te- treats workers the way it's like reflects like all sorts of like you know problems with capitalism and what is not unique to video games but you i think video games are unique are unique in some regards um even if this sort of thing you know, it probably happens in all sorts of other industries that aren't even necessarily exclusive to like tech and media. Um, I, just, I just think there's there is a reason we hear about it, like the drum beaten more often in video games. I just I, I believe it's, you know, it's just a more pronounced problem in video yeah. games. Yeah. My suspicion that like the reason this jumps out at you a bit more in video games or it seems to jump out at people a little bit more in video games is because the expectations and the motivations that bring people to the game industry are higher than I think a lot of the expectations bring to jobs outside creative fields uh, where you encounter a lot of this kind of exploitation and abuse. Like, working at a shitty small business, you kind of expect to get screwed there. Yeah. Um, and it's annoying, and it's terrible when it happens. It's it's a miserable experience being exploited uh, in that way. But at the same time, you don't feel like you've been sold a bill of goods quite the same way. I, I think, whereas the game industry, it is so nakedly like stripping your passion for parts, uh, as it were, <laughs> that I think it does sort of make more of an impression the degree to which uh, it sort of, it the industry does not hold up its end of the bargain between uh, you know company and the employee. Yeah, I can say personally, I've met a lot of young people who really want to make video games. That is a thing that happens. I, I taught some sort of very early, very low-level uh, game design classes. Uh, you know, I, I still do um, at, at a college in Boston. And there's a whole lot of people who are real excited uh, to go into games. Uh, and there, there's a sort of a bargaining uh, that has to happen between reality and uh, sort of the, the dreams of the young uh, that is really heartbreaking <laughs> sometimes uh, to kind of deal with and to kind of see um, and talk about. And a lot of folks will will do the thing where it's like, oh, you know what? Uh, obviously, AAA is not for me. They'll hear some horror stories. They'll hear about um, 
you know, the kinds of things that we've been hearing about since EA Spouse, which was a while ago now, it was what, 12 years ago, something like that, 10 years ago, uh, and still is a problem and still is an issue. And we've written, we've had some pieces about crunch as a practice, uh, which is a part of this, as well as uh, as alluded to in the piece or, or spoken about in the piece pretty honestly about how much... Uh, how many positions have, are now contract positions as opposed to sort of stable, full-time benefited positions now uh, at large studios? And now students often will say, well, I'll go indie. Uh, and, and that sure doesn't seem to be a great answer either unless you're independently wealthy. So yeah. – yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a there is sort of a lot here. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about that contract issue that seems to be a huge part of this piece, uh, and it, the piece does start with a, a whole story about, as Patrick said, Frank D'Angelo, a guy who, <laughs> yeah, was a musician uh, who went in uh, to Volition. He started as an intern at Volition, and he worked there on the sound design team. He worked his way up, worked his way up, worked his way up, and then sort of encountered. Uh, some changes in the industry it does sound like this is more of an issue now than it was even in the past where oh something that may have been a full-time position uh 10 years ago 20 years ago is now that's a 12-month contract and maybe you'll get benefits maybe you won't uh and people have to then to accommodate that move from studio to studio go all over the country go all over the world honestly that's that's more often it's it's you know hey do you want to go work in this city uh you know wherever it is uh, even if there's a language barrier and people have to uproot their families. They have to uproot their entire lives just to kind of stay uh, employed full time, which is, man, that is intense. Well, and I think the the move towards contract labor is one of those things that underscores the lack of any sort of guild or union system for those sorts of freelance workers, right? We we um, we ran a story recently from Dante Douglas uh, about the the kind of where do unions fit in with small scale and contract uh, workers in the in the industry. You know, we, we kind of all can imagine what a union might do for people at a mega, you know, giant corporation like Ubisoft with 17 studios and, you know, where 700 people are working on a game. You can imagine pretty easily what a QA department in a, in a company that size would gain from being unionized. Um, it's harder to imagine sometimes like, okay, well, what's that mean for a four-person team or a five-person team or for the solo contractor? And one of the places to look for something like that is at the the Hollywood models of the Writers Guild, the Actors Guild, the, you know the the screenwriters guild, all the all the different um, guilds, the directors guild, which set certain standards for for guild associated projects, and there's nothing like that in gaming, which means that a lot of the standardization that you can count on as a freelancer or a contractor, um, or or you know someone who's jumping from job to job is not available for you in in the games industry. Um, and and unlike an industry like, and this is one of the things that Parkin brings up, uh, like the the tech world where a programmer could hop from, you know, startup to startup to startup, collecting hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, that just doesn't happen either. So it's neither. It's like the worst of both worlds. <laughs> it's yeah. neither the standardization of a guild system where – you know, you know. Yes, you might bat your head against some of the inflexibility of that system, but everyone is going to be working at rates that are that are kind of negotiated and and are arrived at collectively. And it's also not the libertarian dream world, the so-called <laughs> libertarian dream world uh, of of Silicon Valley, where the the 
the extra money you would be getting makes up for the lack of that uh, or, or for the for the instability and for the down periods like the games industry attracts people who are passionate about video games and who are willing to take lower incomes because of that and it fucking sucks uh and i it's just one of those those moments of like I'm glad we're beginning to see the first sparks of organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and stories like this should be connected to that conversation instead of being presented. And I'm not saying that Parkin did this, but um, but we shouldn't just let them hang as, as a separate conversation than the unionization one. I mean, I think it is unfortunate the story doesn't touch on that stuff at all yeah. because as well written as it is, it's like there's nothing new about this. There's nothing remarkable in this story. It's like a very nicely written, nicely reported of something we've heard a million times before. And I think like the thing that's missing from this is like at the end of stories like this, it's always like, well, hope it gets like, maybe not next time. And and I think, and I think like actually what's happening now is like, we're starting to fill in those blanks. We're starting to come up with it's, it's not catch all solutions, but it's at least discussions that have actions um, associated with them that may or could result in systemic change over a, you know, a period of time. We're not talking about tomorrow or, or even necessarily the next project, but like there are like steps that can be taken towards discussions that can lead to change, that can lead to solutions. And th- this piece doesn't have those parts. And like, but part of the usefulness of like, so when I was on kind of funny uh, during my vacation uh, two weeks ago, one of the questions that came up was a uh, someone asking uh, basically, if I was to uh, take their long question and put it out to one line, it was like, well, if their job is so bad, why don't they just go find another one? Right. Um, which is like rooted in like, it's easy to laugh at. But I my guess is like, for a lot of people like that, you know, this is rooted in like the oh, it's a passion. Oh, you like making video yep. games like, oh, why would you work for a crappy game developer? So I couldn't help but laugh at like someone posing that question like completely straight faced and seriously. But I think like you actually have to look at that and go, oh, like. Rather than mocking that, that's probably reflects like a like a not a willful ignorance. It's just sort of an ignorance of how like this stuff works because the kinds of people who know this is actually how the game industry operates are like people like uh, you know ourselves or people reading Gama Sutra. Um, like it's not the average like person who loves video games and and if they wanted to know like maybe wants to know more but doesn't know where to get that and it's something the video game industry doesn't talk about. So it's like the fact that like someone can still ask that question in 2018 reflects. Uh, both why this this kind of story needs to be keep being told, even if it's repetitive, even if it's the same story we've heard over and over, but more well written, um, because like there's a significant chunk of the audience that still doesn't understand. Well, if this job sucks, why don't you just go get another one? And this goes beyond just the sort of like, well, maybe you've got a family and you can't uproot them. Like this is rooted. This is this is a the industry has perpetuated a lie that like. Video games are fun, thus making video games is fun, thus everything associated with video games is fun. And, like, this is, like, a Disneyland lie that is 100% true. There's lots of fun in all of it, right? Like, you know, there there is something that drives people to both do it and stick with it, Um, um, sometimes out of necessity, um, sometimes out of passion, and often out of a mixture of a lot of different contradictory reasons. But, like, it is is true that it's a lie, and it's true, like, E3 is part of that lie. Like, the entire (laughs) video game industry, like, like, both for reasons that are market-driven and business-driven, like, perpetuate a lie that is, like, creates an untruth for a lot of players that they have trouble reconciling, because where are they supposed to, it's not like you get to the end credits of a game you beat, and it's like, so let me tell you how fucked up it was to make this game. And like, I don't expect games <laughs> yeah. to do that, but like, they're, they're, I don't know. I don't, I don't have like a conclusion here as much as like, I just, well, I mean, like, it, 
So I think one thing, though, this article is explicitly about people who have chosen to leave the industry. Like, that's the thing. Like, that question is often posed. Well, if it's so bad, why don't you why don't you <laughs> go work somewhere else? This article is explicitly saying here's a bunch of talented people who were good at their jobs and liked working in the industry in some ways who decided, fuck it, I'm right. leaving. And notice every one of those anecdotes these people are happier. It's not yeah. like they're, they're ambivalent about it, but none of them is saying like, boy, you know, I just, I feel less fulfilled by it. There's a little <laughs> bit of that, but overwhelmingly <laughs> the verdict here is holy shit. Like I'm just punching a clock every day at a job I don't care about. And it's fucking awesome. And I've totally been there. <laughs> right. And right. I think pieces like this do point toward a couple things. They point, they, they point, they imply a usefulness that will come from organization because implied in a lot of this is here are people who have chosen to withhold their labor from the industry. Now imagine if all of you fucking did that. <laughs> look, look at all the bullshit that drove these people out of the industry. Have you seen this bullshit? Do you want to keep dealing with it? What if you just fucking left? Or better, what if you and your coworkers just decided not to put up with it anymore? That would be really cool. The other thing this reminds me a little bit of is... um it reminds me a little bit of the teacher strikes we're seeing right. around the country. Right. Uh, in that, and I think one reason you're seeing these teacher strikes is that it's similar in that my, my mom was an educator for, both my parents were educators, but my mom was a public high school teacher for years and years. So like some real front, front lines of American education yeah. shit. And I think it is similar to the game industry in that, again, you've got a self-selecting group of employees Yep. who choose to be there because they believe in something about this work. In education, it's even stronger, right? Like, it is, for a lot of educators, almost a holy mission. Right. Uh, it's not it's just vocational. A, it's like it is, it is, it is a, a cause. It is a mission, yeah. Right. It's, and it's not just that you like teaching. It is that you are there for these kids. And right. what is driving a lot of, like, labor action in teaching right now, and I suspect it's – why you don't see something like this happening as readily in um, in games. A lot of teachers have been aware for years of how kids are getting screwed in the system too. And how all those like cutesy, like bullshit anecdotes about teachers buying school supplies for their, for their students. <laughs> all of that are, all of that is evidence of the ways that the people who have the least in the system and who do the most work are increasingly dipping into their own resources to try to patch system uh, patch holes in a broken system. And with educators, it sort of hit a breaking point where even setting aside the issues of raises, a lot of schools are like <laughs> no longer safe or like productive educational environments yeah. for students. The mission of an edu educator has become impossible. And yeah. so that's where you're seeing the teacher walkouts. Right. Right. Games, the stakes are they're like there's no way that you can make the stakes – the stakes are not the same, right? It's not as altruistic as what motivates a teacher. But, I, and I, but you do have some of, some of the same elements of you are, you are dealing with inept management at a lot of different companies, a lot of exploitative and abusive workplace practices and incompetence, and you have a workforce that has chosen to be there and for a lot of reasons will resist acknowledging just how hot the water has gotten. Right. Well, and, and there's, there's two other things here too, right? Which is like one of the things that there was almost an educational component to this in, in a different way, right? Which is that 
the reason that teachers get upset uh, is because they don't have the resources necessary to to do their jobs and educate people. One of the things that's being that's being taken from the industry is uh, are you the the people who would be good at mentoring the people who, if yeah. their presence was felt and their presence was, was maintained could help shape the industry in the long run, but they're burning out and being pushed out. And, and sometimes by nepotism as, as Parkin, uh, uh, you know, uh, Parkin doesn't uh, yeah. argue it, but someone in the, in the story does. Um, and losing that, like the, the kind of like, elder statesperson positions, like not having people who've been in this industry for 15, 20 years, sometimes even 10 to 15 years, is a is a real problem because those are the people who end up having the perspective. Like if I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of thinking that you need people in all of these spaces who both have a great deal of experience and people who are incredibly fresh and new, right? It's why I, I love working with young writers. It's why I like working with writers who have been who I used to read. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's mm-hmm. there is a degree to which those both of those perspectives pr- produce something new and and valuable. And when the amount of people who are coming up in in status and sticking around inside of the games industry are so few, it produces this feeling of churn and and it it doubles down it spirals it, it's an exponential problem because one of the things you do when you are in a bad place when you're when you are mentally exhausted when you are physically stretched when you don't know what to do you turn to mentors you turn to someone who's been through it already and when there aren't that many people who've been through it already and the ones who are have not it's not been like oh yeah things have gotten better here's how we can change things to make your workflow better it's often yeah i learned to grin and bear it that's not going to produce a healthy work environment and it's not going to give those people who who are in crisis uh the sort of support or or the sort of action necessary to make the video game workplace somewhere you want to be uh and that runs, the the thing that is so frustrating to me about this is that it isn't just that individuals see the games industry as a place for fun and for creativity, and they're drawn to it as individuals. It's also a way in which game devs recruit. Um, Ian Williams, who's written for us, and I wrote a piece on Paste Games a few years ago about some Blizzard recruiting material in which – I want to be clear. Everything I've ever read and heard through sources, through people who used to work at Blizzard, obviously it's a company. There are issues. There are, you know, obviously there are some people who are like, oh, I had a bad boss or whatever. But by and large, my understanding from sources and from, and from stories I've read – uh, is that Blizzard is a really good place to work for in terms of economic support, in terms of crunch, in terms of culture. Again, this was a few years ago that I wrote about it, but the 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 way that they pitched their company, the way they pitched like come work for Blizzard, wasn't. And also, don't we're not going to like crunch you to death. It was. We all we're all so passionate about video games. It's all about creativity here. It's all about passion and love. We all love video games. We're family. You know video games? We're family. We <laughs> love family. you. We're family. Everyone here is friendship, family, love, focus, and commitment. And like – Those are cult terms. <laughs> it's fucked yeah. because, because if what they, they're in a position to do is say, we're going to pay you well and here are what your benefits are going to be like. And we're going to make sure that, you know, we believe in work-life balance. That's like, that's not even that, like, pull the curtain back. Do you know what I mean? Like, we believe in work-life balance at Blizzard. We think everyone should live a healthy life and also get to follow their dreams and, and, and build video games. Those two things are, for Blizzard, are a value. And again, I don't, I haven't learned their recruiting material this year. If it's in there, awesome. Um, but they should be making that pitch. 
Uh, companies that do this should be making it something they're beating their fucking chests about because one, it should, it should attract uh, better talent. And two, it's good for the industry to make those things um, values that you should be proud of. Uh, and so it's one of those things that if you're at a company that does do this well, please, like, be loud about it. Be clear that this is the thing that separates you from your competition. There's a, yeah, and also, oh, go, oh, go ahead, Danielle. No, it's okay. I was going to pivot on something else. If you have a related point, I think you should say it. Yeah, I just, want, I just wanted to add on to yeah. what uh, Austin had mentioned before about, like, sort of, like, the departure of, like, sort of elder statesmen. It's also folks that have been around for a while. They tend to accrue both institutional and, like, yeah. personal power and, like, uh, bullshit filters that you <laughs> don't feel comfortable expressing if you're, like, new, no matter how old you are. Like, and so, like... You know, when we've talked in the past about, like, being frustrated at, like, Corey Barlog's response to, like, sort of, mm-hmm. like, the experience of making God of War, and I remember vocalizing on that podcast, was, like, he is – he's the person who should be in the position to say, like, we should have done it better. We can yeah. do it better um, because he's the kind of person who can't be fired over a comment like that. There are people who are uniquely situated to express what's wrong, and that comes with institutional power. It comes with financial success. It comes with – uh, you know, get, you know, producing a, a a game or whatever for your company that um, gives you that sort of like halo, even if it's only temporary. And so it's frustrating when those that do do have that power and experience don't use it. And when we lose people who are able to accrue that stuff because they get they get their bullshit filter tells them I got to leave. I can't <laughs> do this anymore. And this is, you know, certainly true in like games media. Like there's a reason like most of them are like 20 somethings because the 30 somethings go into PR or producing roles and say, ah, <laughs> like I'm not doing this anymore. Um, I still haven't taken the hint apparently. Um, and it's just like when you lose those people, it's not just the mentoring. It's the like those people are in a position to protect the people below them in a way that uh, those who are getting started and are young and don't understand or are willing to put up with things because they're excited and new. Like we lose a lot when they leave the it goes beyond just being able to tell someone like, oh, here's how you should deal with it. Like those are the sorts of people that should be in those positions of, of power. And when, and when they go, like the, the power goes with them and then shifts to management and administration who are going to make decisions that um, are not necessarily in the best interests of the sort of like the lower class of, of developers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a gendered element uh, here as well, and that is talked about at least a little bit in the piece here. I'll read a tiny little paragraph from the piece. It says, for women, the pressures can be still greater. As well as the challenge involved in working in a predominantly male workforce, people who work in video games, perhaps more than any other entertainment industry, are often subject to online harassment from disgruntled fans. Many women report that the harassment experienced by their male colleagues is further amplified, excuse me, amplified when it's directed toward them by misogyny and sexism. And then there's a story about a woman, Kristen Koster, uh, who started? Who was uh, started in the late '90s in Ultima Online? Uh, she actually started at the same time as her husband, and ultimately uh, just had a really bad time and was offered. You know, she was sort of on the. It seems like she was a technical uh, developer of some sort, and eventually management uh, wanted to prevent, like promote her husband, and they were like, "Oh, you can be on the live support team. Uh, you can you could basically be a customer service uh, person. Can't be a direct report to your husband." That's what it was. And uh, apparently she had, you know, very much put in the same sort of hours, the same sort of uh, effort as he did. And there was like a really clear bias there. So 
I mean, there's there's folks uh, who write about this certainly very very articulately. I would encourage people to go read things that Elizabeth Sampat has written about uh, sexism in the industry and shitty uh, work practices that you know they kind of conflate. And there's of course always 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 going to be the issue of women with families. Uh, and what happens with them, especially in an unstable field where there are not uh, necessarily great protections in place for someone who has a family and maybe can't move to another country or can't uh, do X, Y, or Z uh, and stay employed and feed their family. Uh, so that's another aspect of this I just wanted to kind of mention because uh, it is yeah. Yeah. It also leads back to the thing that you were focusing on before, which is the contract stuff, right? Yes. That like one of the things – we work at a company that has uh, great – leave for 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 new parents right yes. both both mothers and fathers anyone who's a parent gets some leave which is gotta be there for a year though got, <laughs> wait, did you not get out. it did you not get yours you no, don't we, get that i thought you, we figured out it. how to get you yours while we you... figured it we figured out a wink okay. wink oh, yeah. oh, oh wink. <laughs> yeah. wink cl uh, don't just CL just don't. keep going forward <laughs> CL keep um, yeah. danielle edit this part out <laughs> bleep that whole bit all right uh we figured it out but you know um thankfully right but but if you're a contract employee Right, like if we were all on contract, we wouldn't get those benefits, uh, and that's the same thing with a lot of of employees who work in the games industry under contract positions. It's like, okay, well, I'm gonna go have a kid, so I guess I won't be around for the end of this project, and that's it. Like, you're not, we're not necessarily gonna bring you back for the next project. Like, also, that we took, took your name off the credits. Can't yep. by. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. That or, has definitely or, happened. Like, let's say even even if they offer like a really good maternity or paternity leave, there is. Like there exists outside of the games industry, like an extraordinary amount of social pressure to like not take yes. that entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when my when my wife went on uh, her maternity leave, she was offered three months, and she took she only took the two months because she we had a long discussion about it. She wanted to go back to work. She was going a little stir crazy, but it was her choice to go back, going back to work and finding work life balance. For for her, it was actually getting some of her work back into her work life balance <laughs> to to make make her happy. But she had that choice. She works for a company that you know does like uh they make like kids food and stuff like that so like it was like there's deep encouragement for people to take the time they need but like that was a unique circumstance relative to what i hear all the time from folks who work whether in video games or tech or even just wider societal culture where you know the offering of a benefit does not mean that like you are expected or it's going to be uh, smiled upon that you take the entirety of that benefit. Um, this is especially true for like if fathers, um, um, which like it's relatively new for for sort of like paternity leaves. But like um, like I've heard from all sorts of women who like my my wife chose to go back and she wanted to go back, but that is not usually the reason they end up like taking a like uh, a shortened maternity leave. And if it's offered, it's because oh like I'm you know I'm getting emails or or messages about a project and like that's kind of like people's way of saying like yo do you like, like you should come back and like that's just not fair that's not like a reasonable expectation for for something that is like a hugely life-changing and traumatic experience for all sorts of women when they go through that and I don't I definitely don't think that's something the video game industry builds into uh especially if you're uh, you know, in a game that's in the middle of like uh, crunch or something like that like you know you can imagine the sorts of pressures that would be on for like what you're gonna, like gonna go away for three months like when our game ships in november and like you had your kid in july uh so yeah. i mean that's the well, sort of things like just not enough discussion happens about yeah. and like part of that kristen coster anecdote is she went to like she went to a team that had decent like benefits and pto except whenever you try to book it 
they'd be like, mm, that's yeah. a really tough time for us to do it. Right. So you could you could use your PTO if you just like call your boss in the morning and be like, hey, is today a good day to take off? But that's fucking useless if you're dealing with like daycare type stuff and trying to build some kind of plan. Um, so like those benefits are are kind of hollow because you've made them culturally inert. Uh, within the company. You made it impossible for people to use them as they are really kind of intended to be used when you lay out those benefits packages. Um, something else this reminded me a little bit of, because another theme in this in this piece is that there's not much upward movement in the industry. Like, that, like it, opportunities for advancement, managerial roles are actually getting scarcer, not more common, even though the industry you know, is growing and you think it'd be getting bigger, making those career advances is actually getting harder. And I don't know. It reminds me of, um, this relates back to the contractor thing, but I can't remember if this was a Washington post or a New York times piece, but it was like titled something like a tale of two janitors. This was a few months ago. Did either of you read it? Did anyone read it? I don't think so. Can you, can you maybe describe the piece a little bit more and maybe? Yeah. So it was basically this, the story of these two women, uh, who entered the workforce like 30 years apart. One started at as a uh, janitor at like Eastman Kodak in like the 60s. And she ended his her career, I think like either in the C-suite of a major American company or like close to it. Uh, but she started like, you know, sweeping floors, sweeping and mopping floors. But mm. you worked for Eastman Kodak. You were still part of that company. And, like, the idea was, you know, if you were in the mailroom, you weren't going to be in the mailroom forever. If you were, right. you know, janitor, you weren't going to be the manager, the janitor forever. And the, the case they're comparing this to is a woman of very similar circumstances who is now working for a cleaning consultancy company or something like that. But basically, it's outsourced janitorial staff. And there is no getting out of that. That that leads nowhere. There's no benefits that accrue. Uh, even though you work full time for this contracting firm, you are not. I'm not even sure that you are a full time yep. employee of that contracting firm. Uh, you are a you are a contractor. You are a contractor for the contractor right. in a lot of ways. And so the job just becomes this like endless treadmill that provides no avenues for advancement and no ways out. And I think that's another inherent feature to the um, contractor model is that there are all these jobs that businesses have to get done to function. There is no way that you that you can't have janitorial crew. There is no way you can't have large t- like in the game in the games industry uh, making AAA stuff in, in particular like you need large groups of artists uh, you know creating work for assets and such. Right. You need large QA departments. But the contracting but but the way contractors are used allows you this pretense of like, oh, these these people don't really work for us. They work for someone else. And because they don't work for us, uh, obviously we would never advance them within the organization because they're not part of the team. They're not, they're not in the organization. Uh, and we don't have to provide benefits. And I think this is something you see across more and more of the economy is that it's getting a job is not that hard. Getting a career that feels like it will actually go somewhere is becoming really fucking difficult and really scary. And yeah. I think that's the other element running through the story is that people are looking up. Like 10 years ago, you know, you join a team and you could tell yourself that with time, maybe you'd be, you know, a department lead or something, a systems designer. I think if you're joining now, it sounds like a lot of people in this article are sort of looking up above them 
and realizing the opportunity is never going to come their way. And when the opportunity does open up, it's going to go to somebody with a personal connection. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Totally. The, the piece you're talking about is called To Understand Rising Inequality, Consider the Janitors at Two Top Companies Then and Now. At least that's what it, the head is now, probably changed since it was first posted <laughs> yeah. in September. So yeah. uh, give that a read. It seems interesting. There's Dude, you another- read about like, oh. sorry, just the vision of what it was like to be like a janitor in the 50s or 60s, utopian compared to now, because at <laughs> least you were, you could work for a major company and like get right. your start that way. Yeah. Sorry, Daniel, you were, you were saying. No, no, no problem. I mean, it's, it's really, yeah, I, I've watched some recent like... <laughs> organizing in the 50s like your union is great like if you worked in a factory and and i've watched some recent things uh lately that was like union kind of propaganda but i don't mean that in a negative sense uh old videos and it's like wow that was that was in this like in the last hundred years this was was how people felt about things uh but yeah I, i i wanted to mention uh part of all of this and part of the reason why it's so hard for people to change jobs and change places where they live and change all kinds of things is also due to healthcare. Another another sort of like conflating mm. issue in America um, where, you know, maybe it is sustainable in, in some places on this earth to to work a contract job, to have the money you need for rent and have benefits because you live in a country that takes care of you on some level or, or at least has some of the basics for living uh, as a human being. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, OK, uh, I think about this all the time, maybe because I'm an EMT, but if you get hit by a car, uh, I, I, I have never I, I've been very lucky in my life to have full time employment and part time employment the entire time I've been an adult uh, and had benefits and had health care. But I, I see things like people who don't have health insurance who, you know, can't afford a ride on my ambulance and we are volunteers and we won't charge them anyway. But you know what I'm saying, that they they're terrified that the ambulance will take them to the hospital and they'll be bankrupted even if they have, you know, e- extreme horrible injury, which is, you know, another uh, we could talk all day about yeah, how we that is happening to my parents right now. Like, yeah, exactly. Literally. Yeah. This is a um, very, very fucked up and real thing. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Rob. No, I mean, you can be put in an ambulance. Like, doctors can be like, no, we can't actually let you be driven to this other hospital where we need to, like, do a CT scan. Like, you actually need to, like, be loaded into this ambulance. And then, like, right now, my parents are, like, trying to fight, like, a $6,000 ambulance ride uh, yeah. bill. Uh, because, it, it, like, my mom slipped on some ice in, uh, like, rural Michigan. And a lot of ambulance companies charge by the mile and they charge a steep fucking fee by the mile um and, and the EMTs so, who like, work on it get less than minimum wage and yeah it's like, no for yeah, sure good job but, ambulance companies yeah <laughs> sorry but also like it would be nice if we had at the very least if we're going to ha- move into this sort of everyone is a contractor hell some sort of like 
large scale like carried benefits expectation and structure like like the guilds have in Hollywood. Yeah. Um would I think ameliorate a lot of this at least. Like like if the days of people being like, you know, lifetime employees of a company of, you know, putting in your 20 or 30 and getting your pension, uh if those days are are gone for good, at least maybe we can move into this model where like you accrue benefits as a contractor that are yours and they're not dependent on you being part of any one company because you're part of like a trade or a guild and for someone to get access to your labor or someone like you, they have to agree to these standards and practices. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we don't see at all and, and don't really talk about that much is, you know, we, this industry is, is, unique in some ways um but but not unique in in many other ones and in there are situations where platform holders you know whether that is your mobile phone company you know your 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 apple your samsung i mean even in even in games uh around environmental protections around agreements not to use for instance uh slave labor right yeah. Um, you'll find a list where it's like, here are the things that here are the things that we do to ensure that we are not using conflict minerals, right? Um, companies around the world could be better about all of those things because they are, of course, companies. They are, of course, capitalist organizations. But you, we never even talk about the notion of a Sony and Nintendo or a Microsoft saying like, yeah, we're going to put together some guidelines uh, for things that publish, even inside of their like first or second party studios, where they'd be like, all right, yeah, for, for our internal studios, here's what the minimum is. Here's what here's what our, our standards are. Um, but but you could. You can't. I can't even imagine. This is the fucking most dystopic thing about this. It's like I can't even imagine Nintendo or Microsoft or Sony saying, you know what, there's going to be a limit to crunch. Or, you know what, crunch always needs to at least have X you know, remuneration involved with it. Or, or you know... You know, if you're going to work with contractors, then X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. Um, and they're in the, the position to do that, uh, but it's not even talked about. Um, which, which, you know, I'm not saying here's my favorite list. I'm saying, hey, what if we did talk about what those companies as platform holders could do with the companies they're willing to work with? Um, because, uh, and I don't expect it, but like, I, it's, it's maybe a venue, a direction to start thinking about. Oh my god! I I read the comments. I read the comments, guys. Oh no! Oh no! No, Rob! Don't I need do to it. read one. I need to read one. Okay. I'm not okay. going to give this guy's name, but okay. As someone previously pointed out, bad work conditions can be found in pretty much any sector of the workforce. Corporate USA is worse, as I discovered firsthand early in my work history. And this awareness carried me through some pretty bad jobs in the game sector. But I see the negative aspects of the game industry as serving a useful purpose for all developers. It filters out those who are not that passionate about games, and you often learn more from mistakes than easy success. Oh. Go fuck yourself. If someone like that, if so, if someone ever talks like that around you, like be assured that person will throw you under the bus. I at, pulled myself up by my bootstraps. Oh. <clears throat> my parents gave me uh-huh. a fifteen thousand dollar loan. Uh, yeah. Sounds like that kind of person. I, f- I feel like the Donald. I made my way through college. My parents paid for me. <laughs> mm. I yeah, it's it's 
it's hard not to feel defeated. It's hard not to feel like, exhausted. You know, uh, you ever <laughs> well, you ever hear it take so bad? Wait, wait, you don't you don't believe in the American dream? Is that what you're saying? You well, don't, uh, you know, so I mean, much. Well, what a person like that is bringing to a comment like that, though, is again, it's this sort of old model of well, everyone has dues to pay, right? And one, I always think like. A, probably people don't need to pay all the fucking dues that, like, previous generations did. Like, that's kind of bullshit. Like, what if what if nobody has to pay dues? Uh, that, except union dues. Pay those. Those are good. Yeah, those are all right. Uh, but I think that that's that's one element of it is, is, this, is this idea that, like, well, you know, if I had to eat all this shit, everyone else should, too, uh, before they can get where, I, where, where I've gotten uh, or else they don't they don't deserve it. And two, again, like, you're still kind of buying into this idea that that dues paying is going somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, your your first few years in this industry suck, but once you're sort of through the worst of it and you're no longer entry level, then you know it's all green fields and high tides. Basically, I mean that's that's like the medical model, right? Of like mm-hmm. you go through hell for for you know you go through school, you go through your four years of school, then you go through hell in your residency, and then you'll get paid decently and have your specialty, and you've done your ten thousand hours of training, and and here you are. Uh, and obviously it's a very different field because you can expect to have a job as a doctor, uh, at least if you yeah. are not, you know, if you didn't fail out, basically. You can expect to have a job somewhere because that there's a need for that type of labor, obviously. It's it's really frustrating to see someone say that. Of course, somebody will. I, I think we all probably expected to see comments like that, uh, oh, yeah. whether or not this person actually did pay their dues and did, uh, you know, do the thing that they said they did uh, is up for debate. Uh, but it also speaks to this just absolute lack of, of sort of empathy uh, that, you know, is a cultural phenomenon and maybe a human phenomenon if, if you're asking me on my worst days. But the idea of, like, we can't make it better because it's been bad. Uh, right. that, that sort right. of giving up, that sort of failure it's like a to... lack of political imagination. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> like when, when I said... Uh, I'm kind of funny that capitalism is bad, and then like half the comments from the <laughs> negative people. There's a lot of really good comments, but we're like, what, "Do you realize you have your job because of capitalism?" Okay, so, yeah. okay. Well, Fuck, you got is, me. Shit, <laughs> damn. Oh. I participate in the flawed system because that's my only choice. Fuck, God, damn it, you damn got it. me. Also, the existence of a market doesn't necessarily imply capitalism, but whatever. Yeah, people are very yes. The I, I mean, I think about that that lack of political imagination a lot, and it, and it can be it's it's frustrating because I do my best not to hold it against individuals because that the not being able to see outside of the current moment is something produced by capitalism and by yeah. the culture. Like it is people are taught not to imagine something different. Um, but like, it's really good to imagine something different and it's, it can be very productive even if you're generally cool with the, with the system as is, because even if all you're saying is like, Oh, even if you're the sort of person who is like, I'm liberal and I want capitalism, but I also want healthcare. One of the easiest ways to get better to to make sure that that system of healthcare is better is to dream about how good it could possibly be, uh, and 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 then scale it to whatever your your less imaginative, less radical vision is. Like you move the goalpost so that you end up somewhere, right? Still somewhere, forward, yeah, a step right? forward, <laughs> like, yeah. somewhere, yeah. Uh, and it just it's so frustrating to start at well, what we got is okay, instead of always what we got could be better we could do better than this we could always do better than this and we're going to push to do better and we're going to keep pushing to do better there isn't an end goal there isn't a like well 
done. Like, there isn't. <laughs> there, the stuff takes. The stuff doesn't just take time. The stuff takes like continued effort and vigilance. forever. <laughs> vigilant forever. Like that's not a problem that needs to be solved. That is what it is to be alive and to have a job and to be in a in an industry or to to be active politically. It isn't like. All right, this arrangement is as good as it's going to get now. X Y Z. It's always be thinking about how we can make sure that our that uh, you know our workplaces are are safe and are are you know uh, equal and and are places where people are being paid fairly and that benefits are being are being equally distributed or being being secured you know correctly. Mm-hmm. And that's not something. It's it's why you need people whose job it is to do that stuff. You know. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Exactly. I had this. Uh... Uh, experience. Uh, my main experience being a contractor was at my second job when I uh, so I worked for One Up, and then I went to go work for MTV News, uh, which is MTV Multiplayer, like their blog. But I also worked for MTV News, and like I didn't under I didn't quite understand what I was getting into at the time. But I was, and that's no fault of the people I worked with. This is just how MT- MTV structure worked. If you weren't like one of the primary editors, you were what they called a permalancer. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so permalancer, if you are familiar, I want to be, I want to be really full stop. Vice uses uh-huh. that terminology internally. Also, that's a okay. common term in media. Um, and I'm not, I'm not doing it to undercut whatever you're about to say. I'm just like full, full fucking yeah. transparency. It's, it's a common thing. It's a common in, thing. In the media industry. Yes. Um, it's basically so. You, so the way permalancer works is that you are technically a freelancer, which means they don't have to pay you benefits. Um, but uh, the, you have like a negotiated salary that is paid out like on a time card on a weekly basis. So you're like still filing like a time card that is like based on hours that you like are charging, but you're not a salaried employee. So that's why you get permalancer because you're sort of like this perpetual freelancer that has it like a, a continued agreement. It's, a, it's it's bad, but it was like I took it at the time I was 22 and it was a really big position uh, for me to move up to. Um, but so also it makes you the part of the reason they it's not just to not give you benefits. It's also because like you're easy to like kind of scrub aside when uh, things get bad. So when yep. the 2008 financial crisis happened uh, and MTV was going through like their first round of cuts because of like, what you know, the financial crisis was happening. Yeah. Um, I heard I was... Uh, so when if you lose your job as a permalancer, like you don't get any sort of severance. Mm-hmm. Like it's just gone. Like the contract is just null and void and like you don't have a job anymore. Like you have no money, like you have no health insurance, like, you know, you know, or whatever you're paying, you know, you're paying for the health insurance on your own. So I guess you still have that, but, um, all that stuff just disappears in a cloud of smoke. And fortunately, like the, when MTV decided internally that when the financial crisis hit and they had to start doing cutbacks, they were just going to get rid of all of their permalancers, but they weren't going to tell them in advance. Oh. And so, um, I ended up fortunately finding out, like Steven Tisillo is a wonderful human and a boss that I have you know, had the pleasure of working for a number of different times. Like he called me when he found out and, and said, basically like, here's your two week notice. Like you don't have to write anything, like <sighs> go find like other work or at least like start getting a head start and stuff like that. But like, I don't know how many people got a heads up about that. Right. I would, I would presume lots of people did not get a heads up about that but i basically got like a two-week severance to try and figure it out because my boss was like responsible and like kind enough to be like wow that's kind of fucked like our internal policy is going to be we're just not going to tell people um yep and i'm sure for lots of other people like they were you know they woke up on like a monday or a friday or whatever it was and were just like oh i just don't get checks anymore Uh. and like that's how like contracting works like that was my 
experience with that. I was, I'm fortunate to, you know, I've done freelance off and on when I've been laid off or, or left jobs, but like that was my one and only sort of like exclusive sort of contract experience. I was there for like the, like a year and change and bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. The gig yeah, economy, no, not great for anyone. Uh, <laughs> I mean, great for capitalists. Oh yeah. I guess great if, for if, the people who own the, the, <laughs> The company uh-huh. that is being, uh, you know, the people who are being exploited, but uh, buy someone's labor time, then you else. can get it real cheap these days. So, uh huh. Um, I think that's like this is one reason I just don't have a ton of patience for arguments like for the benefits of these systems because the benefits are almost always like yeah somebody's benefiting i'm not blind to that (laughs) but i don't have a lot of patience it's not me yeah (laughs) right it's not you (laughs) this idea that well this is part of what contributes to a dynamic economy and allows companies (laughs) to take more risks and there's an element of that but should but should that risk always be borne by the worker and not the company, right? right like that's right. that's one of the really frustrating things. Like this stuff becomes a lot less abstract when it's like January fourteenth and you're on the phone with a major uh, client, and over the course of that conversation, in their you know roundabout way, they break the news to you that like you know a twelve thousand dollar you know contract has just disappeared. Right. Uh, Twelve thousand dollars a quarter is now just yeah. up up in smoke, and now you just got to plug that gap. Um, that's that really like concretizes the other these thing, issues. The other thing that could happen to to freelancers and contract workers is that twelve thousand dollar contract becomes a six thousand dollar contract, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to still do sixty or seventy percent of the work, which means you're doing more. Not only more for less, but you're doing more than than you can comfortably go find a second gig yes. to fill that space for, and like that shit happens constantly, and it's infuriating. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It is it is a tough thing. Also, I think because one of the things, like you said, Danielle, in in this piece, you know, we get to the the Kristen Coster story and the the gendered harassment and, and harassment in general um, in in the games industry is so fucking bad. Um, it is so frustrating to me to see devs dogpiled because a game doesn't have a feature or because a game has women in it, like in with Battlefield uh, 5 the last week or two weeks ago, um, or because a game's ending isn't as good as you hoped it would be. Um, or if a, a or, woman developer prefers certain types of gameplay over another, for example. For instance, yeah. right. Uh, and same for journalists, right, and critics, right? We definitely have, have been on... <laughs> Uh, in front of the 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 social media Shit you know storm. harassment firing squad yeah exactly <laughs> um and it's so frustrating for the reasons outlined here which is no one's doing this cuz it pays well <laughs> you know if we were in it for the check we'd be somewhere else and i mean that for people on all sides of the industry like if you're good at your job working pr at ubisoft right now You'd be getting paid more at a different tech company, probably. And like you know, I know I know Ubisoft PR people, and they're happy there, and they're but they love video games. They fucking love video games, uh, and that's why they're doing it. It's not like yes, they're. I'm not saying they're not well compensated. I'm not saying like pay Eric Pope more money. I guess he's community, <laughs> but you know what? I, also, hey, hey you Eric know what? Pope more pay money. Eric Pope more pay money. Pay Stone Chin more money. You know, <laughs> all of our Ubisoft people out there. 
Um, no, but like, but, but there is a situation where it's like a lot of times those people and often again often women who are in community positions or in forward facing positions in PR positions in and and often sometimes in dev roles too in writing positions in in programming positions um i mean we saw this a little bit coming off of battletech with the with the pronoun stuff yeah. and the the lead designer on that game is a woman um and like sh- sending hate at them often comes with this notion of like you're so like successful and rich you're in the games industry it's like yo everyone is making rent everyone is just <laughs> barely making rent you know what i mean um the the money here with the skill sets that you have or the time you've put into it go be an accountant you know like you can go be an accountant and you would you'd be making way more money so it's so frustrating to see the kind of uh, the ongoing myth that everyone is like so comfortable inside of the games industry, uh, and that that somehow gives angry fans a, enough of a legitimate, you know, reason to be shitty. Yeah. Um, I think this podcast hopefully has made people mad. That's what I'm kind of hoping, honestly. I, I hope people <laughs> at us, are mad. Right? Not at us. No, God, please, <laughs> not at us. Don't shoot the messenger. Uh, I we don't typically do this, but I I feel like we have touched on so much about labor and so much about you know issues that again, if you are just a video game fan who maybe just listens to our podcast and isn't aware of other stuff, are there any resources that you folks can think of that are like entry level learning about fair business practices or fair you know sort of learning a little bit about labor and how it works in America and what you can kind of do about it? Are there any resources that we want to actually point folks towards in this? As if you had told service. me this was a segment, I would have gotten some together. I'm sorry. Um, I, did, I just thought of it. If you give me heads up, if you give me some time, I can give you a list for the, the show yeah, notes. We'll have something in the show notes. I just, I'm just thinking about it as like, okay, this is making me pissed off. Hopefully it's making other people pissed off. And, you know, here's the thing to do. Well, at least that goes support, like, what's the, 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 the you know, the, uh, now I'm blanking out, the video game unionization. Game Workers Unite. Yes, Game Workers Unite. Yeah, Game Workers Unite. Like, that's, like, those are folks you know that what? you can get in touch with. Like, they have a website. They I can actually account, like, yeah, I can actually say that the Game Workers Unite resources page um, is really strong in terms of giving you some introductory reading on stuff from places like the Economic Policy Institute um, and some stuff from, I think, from SAG-AFTRA and uh, from Ian Williams, who, again, has written for us. He, he wrote – OK, here's, here's an easy one. Ian, if you're like super like, hey, what is a union? Ian Williams jumping off of a now famous Dan Reichert tweet, which was him saying, this is years ago now, basically, but saying, like, I don't get what a union is or why there are unions. Oh, I remember that tweet. Uh, we, I was at John Bond at the time, and I saw, oh, no. and I saw an opportunity to engage. And so we had Ian Williams, who is a great writer, um, dig into uh, what what unions are and why they exist and you know what you get from them uh, that piece is called now you're playing now you're working with power um that's a bad headline but i guess it's a different situation when you're writing to an audience yeah. that's just like oh yeah we're the we're the giant bomb audience yeah. it's a different thing <laughs> than trying to just get everyone on the internet anyway it's called now you're working with power uh, and that's a really great introduction to like what is a union how do how do unions like work um etc uh like directed specifically to an audience like you awesome and uh, game workers unite resources page is just gameworkersunite.org slash resources so that's an easy one to, yeah. to find some good stuff all right cool now i'm just imagining like ian explaining labor politics to dan reichert though and like so when the boss does podcast. his heel turn <laughs> the union comes running in from 
that's really I do good. For heel, and I, yeah, Actually. honestly, <laughs> I mean, there was a union faction in the WWE for a while. Oh wow, which is terrifying because of the WWE's own history with unions. It's really, it's so fucking. Ugh. Yeah, you know what is a good thing? Another thing that this reminds me of is um, what was the thing? Kier- Kieran Gillen when he left games writing. Um, he. Sorry for the tapping. I'm trying to find this thing right now. No, 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 no. I'm just laughing at when Blank left games writing. Yep. Um, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But he was talking about basically, yeah. So it's unleaving RPS. Uh, So when when he left Rock Paper Shotgun, I think to go full time as a uh, comics writer. I was going to say he went to comics, so I don't know that like there was like jumping ship to accounting. <laughs> well, yeah, but- no, no, except that except that other creative industries. This is what I mean when I say like we do it for the passion. Like it, other creative industries often do have writers guilds, do have uh, a, a longer history of stability. Like obviously, if you're still freelancing, there's still. I'm not saying that things are perfect in the world of comics by any means, um, but those histories, those those companies are you know what? i don't want to get into it because i can think of too many ways which marvel and dc specifically have fucked up <laughs> recently uh but that's not where kieran went so it's all, anyway but, i'll let you continue rob no but uh, so he sort of gives this party message to other games writers but i think it applies to a lot of people in creative fields and he sort of says uh you could even end up in cold financial terms better off than the capitalism uberalis wannabe publishers. I look at the generation of writers directly before me, and the richest one isn't the one who fell entirely in, lo- in with the corporate line. It's a brilliant, insightful writer who was minority shareholder at a games company who sold for about 100 million quid. As I said, have some pride. You've got talent. You're using it in a stupid way. And when you smarten up, you'll go on to do great things. Do not listen to your bosses. They will infect and ruin your brain. They don't have your best interests in heart. Who profits from making you hate yourself? They do. The less you realize how good you are, the more they can profit from you. And they do. And they will. And I think that's right. kind of, that is a piece that left an impression on me. I've never quite forgotten it. And something I return to every time I hit a crossroads in this field. Because, yep. like, I have met some of the brightest, most capable, and uh, compassionate people of my life in this field. And almost all of them deserve better than they get from the compensation they get as a part of this field. And I am 100% on board with people keeping that in mind. That you're not actual, that your value is not what you get in your shitty exploitative industry. You could, you could and will do better uh, somewhere else. You, you have the talent to succeed elsewhere. You are, not, you are never as trapped as you think you are. <sighs> That's a good message. I like that message a lot. Yeah. I I feel like, you know, we're actually we're at an hour. I was going to dip into the question bucket, but that actually feels like a really good place uh, to end things today. I think uh, that's a good note. And also, like, hey, in general, like I always, you know, we say at the end of the show, be good and be good at it. But also, don't treat human beings. Peace. No. No. Okay. Oh no. I'm sorry. No. No. I I wasn't. Sorry. I wasn't ending it. Activation phrase. I was looking at the camera. I was having that moment of like, hey, hey, kids, listen up. We say be good and be good at it, and we mean it, but also don't treat other human beings like objects, even if the world <laughs> treats you poorly. Try to be a better person. Try to be the, the bigger person. Try to make radical empathy part of your life. <laughs> God damn it, Rob. <laughs> I love you, Rob. Fuck you. God damn it. It's very good. 
If you do have questions, you should send those to gaming at vice.com with the subject question. And I'm sure maybe you'll have questions today. You know, I have questions. I've got to go do some reading. Go to that resources page. Shoutouts, of there course, to Bowen for letting us use his track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. We're on Twitter at Waypoint. We're on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. We're on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. And you can read everything we write, including that awesome piece by Ian Williams, at waypoint.vice.com. Thank you all so much for being here, for listening to us. Austin, where can we find you on the internet? At Austin underscore Walker on Twitter. Patrick, what about you? At I'm still mad at Rob. <laughs> good. Rob. Where can, where at Rob Zachney. All right, good. He, he went with the straight answer this time. All right. I'm at Danielle R.I., and I encourage you to be good and be good at it and support union efforts. Peace. Time out. Oh my god! (laughs) When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.